I'm Pastor Joe Castillo of All Nations International Fellowship, coming live to your device all the way from Beijing, China. Enjoy this podcast while you're driving your car, maybe doing household chores, or even your morning devotion. As you join us today, I trust the living Word of God to touch your life. His name is Yeshua, and He is Lord of all. Check us out online at anif.cc. here and what we're going to talk about today and we're still dealing with unity and I'd like to start in the book of Acts chapter 2 if you have a Bible from from the age of Adam or from Adam's age until the church age so from Adam's age unto the church age you know in the scripture that says from the days of John the Baptist even until now uh, the days of John the Baptist represent the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets. So that was speaking of an age. So from Adam's age to the church age, there's never been a time in history where people like us have ever walked the earth. When the born-again experience came, Jesus went inside the room and he breathed into them. And said, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came inside of them. And that was the first time that the world has ever seen a born-again experience. It's the first time that the world has ever seen a new creation people. So the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, that if any man become in Christ, he is a new creation. That word creation could be translated a new species of being. So when we come into Christ and Christ comes inside of us, we literally become a new species of being. We become a type of God-man where we're man and then there's God inside of our man and we're in union with God. So this is a new type of human being that has never existed since Adam. Okay? This new creation people that mean you are, created in Christ Jesus, has come into being for the first time in the earth when Jesus rose from the dead and breathed his disciples in the Acts chapter 2, the early church began. Secondly, there has never been a time where unity was so diverse. There's never been a time where unity was so diverse. This is also because from Adam's age... Until the church age, there's never been a time where God lived in such a variety of vessels. In the Old Testament, his spirit uh, lived, God lived in an ark. And this ark of the covenant was in the tent or moved to a temple. And that's where God was. And those who wanted to see God would have to go to that one location. But now, God is in a variety of vessels. Salvation was of the Jews. For thousands of years. And when Christ came, salvation came upon the Mongolians, the Filipinos, the Cambodians, the Laos. So, so God's dealing mainly was his presence was in this, this one box. And his people were just this one race with this one ethnicity and this one culture. But now God has poured out his spirit 
upon such a vast variety of languages and cultures and and ethnicities and colors. So as society gets darker, the world has never been in such a dire or desperate need of the manifestation of the sons of God to come into unity. So from Adam's time until now, uh, God's people have never been so diverse and from Adam's time until now, the earth has never been so desperate for, for this diversity of people to come in together as one to manifest the kingdom of God in the earth. So here we have a paradox. We are so spread out, so diverse, so many different backgrounds. And to make matters worse, uh, the devil's divided the churches the devil started doing that right away. You know, in the early church, Peter, Paul, you know, the apostles, you know, all these guys were preaching and teaching and planting churches. And then they started being fighting amongst them and heresies rising up. And, and then this church and that church and the Orthodox split with the Catholics and, and, and all these different denominations. So the enemy has, has been trying very hard to separate the Christians, separate the Christians, separate the Christians. And we've never been in such a time where the body of Christ needs to come together. And I believe that God is, in these last days, trying to bring the body of Christ together. In the 1960s and 70s, there was what's called the charismatic movement. And this charismatic movement is when the Catholics were filled with the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues, the Lutherans were filled with the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues, the Baptists were filled with the Holy Spirit. All the denominations all began to speak in tongues together. And just a few months ago, I was with the Catholic leader of the Catholic parish here in Beijing. And we're sitting together, and he was like, let's pray. He said, I have a prayer tongue. Do you mind if I speak in tongues? I said, absolutely, go ahead. And me and this Catholic leader are in his office, and we're both praying in tongues together. Mm-hmm. Isn't that something? How the Holy Spirit can unite every single different variety of background, color, race, and religion. Amen? In Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 42, I want to take a look at this because, once again, from last week, we are talking about restoration, restoring back the picture of unity that God gave the first church. My, my pastor's pastor, Dr. Lester Summerall, an old-timer, he died in, like, 95. But he always said that there's much to be gained by the discarded values of the past. There's much to be gained by the discarded values of the past. And I believe that as the world's values begin to be reinterpreted and the world's values begin to change, and all of a sudden... What was wrong now is right, and what was right now is wrong. I believe his words are more true than ever, that there's much for us to gain from the discarded family values of the past. So let's look at some of the values of the early church. And today's message, I entitled, Unity Virtue. Unity Virtue of the Early Church. Unity Virtue of the Early Church. And when we're saying church... I like to point out that the, that the word in Greek for church is ekklesia. So the church is not the four walls of the building. It's not the building with the cross on top. But the church is in the Greek is ekklesia. 
It means the gathering, like we're gathered today here, the gathering of those who've been called out. So we're saved, that means we're called out of the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And we're called out from the world, and we're gathered together. And Jesus said, this is my ecclesia, the gathering of my people that are called out from the world. So when we're speaking of church, that's what we're speaking of, okay? So let's look at the virtue of the early church. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and let's read down to verse 47. The church had been praying for 10 days. They weren't going to work. They were just, they weren't going to class. They were all together. I'm sure some guys had to take off their responsibilities, move their calendars around, you know, and they had, and they came together because they were praying every day, 24 hours a day for 10 days. I'm sure they were sleeping, maybe some food, I don't know if they were fasting, I don't know. But they were together praying in this upper room. They weren't going to work, they weren't going to class, they were under persecution. Their leader had just died. But then he rose again. But then he left them. And he left them with nothing but a promise. So I can imagine, it's like happy, then sad, or sad, then happy, then sad again. His company is gone, and he saved us, and he left us, you know. And now all we have is a promise. A promise that they would receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And the promise that on this time, they would be filled with the Holy Spirit, and they would receive miracle-working power. And a promise that he would come back soon to get them. Amen? And on the day of Pentecost... That promise was fulfilled, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. The church's first revival on this day in Acts chapter 2, the very first revival meeting the church ever had, 3,000 people got saved, and 3,000 people joined the church in that one day. Back then, preachers used to pray for 10 days and preach for 10 minutes. Nowadays, preachers preach for 10 days and they pray for 10 minutes. That's it. There's much to be gained by the discarded values of the past. Amen? No wonder we don't have a holy gift. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sometimes you ask people to, to have a time of prayer, and they're like, okay, let's pray. <laughs> oh, God, we need to be waking up. Amen? Amen. Right. Good. So this early church, not only did they have their first revival... But they began to meet together every day, fellowshipping, breaking bread, going to the house, going to the churches, meeting with one another, praying for each other, evangelizing. We, you know, we saw a small glimpse of this. We had the Mongolians here about a year or two ago. We had like 10, 15 Mongolians here. And they were so on fire after coming to our church that they went back to Mongolia for two months. Every day I was getting messages. Oh, my coworker got saved. My classmate got saved. Oh, we cast demons out of my, my teacher. Oh, this person filled with the Holy Spirit. And every single day they were sending me messages of miracles, testimonies. They were on fire. Oh, how we need that fire here in Beijing. Amen? They were on fire and the Lord, verse 47, he added daily such as should be saved. That's it. We, as a church, we should be having new people saved in our community every day. Every day, somebody should be being saved. If not through Eric, through Miro. If not through Miro, through Bunny. If not through Bunny, through Catherine. Not through Catherine, through me, or through Vera. As, as a body, we should have somebody coming to Christ constantly. There should be constantly be new blood coming into the church. 
Amen? In the church age, God was going to live in man. In the Old Testament, he was in the Ark of the Covenant. But in the church age, he decided he was going to come to live in man. So let's take a look here at Ezekiel chapter 36. And this is a prophecy of what we are enjoying now, what we are experiencing now. Here's a prophecy of what we're enjoying and experiencing. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. And if you don't know where Ezekiel is, it's after Jeremiah. Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. You got Psalms, Isaiah, Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, then you have Ezekiel. Ezekiel's a big book. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. Say amen when you get there. Ezekiel 36 and 26. This is a prophecy of what we are now enjoying. What we've had for 2,000 years, which they didn't have back then. Here's a prophecy. A new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit. Say a new spirit. You have a new recreated spirit. It's no longer just you on the inside of you, Kathleen. Or it's no longer just you on the inside of you, Vera. You have a new spirit. A new recreated spirit. Part you and part God. Amen? A new heart will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. Not just upon. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon them. He said, I'm going to put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statues and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Isn't that something? Religion always wants you to change the way you behave in order to be saved. But God doesn't work that way. What God does is he puts his spirit within you, and the evidence of his spirit within you is that he begins to cause you to live in another way. I remember when I first got saved, I, I, was, I was a real bad thief. I used to steal things all the time. And when I got saved, I stole some things. And then I felt bad, and I went and I secretly stole them back. So I would say, for example, I would go and steal his, his ring. And then when he was sleeping, I'd come back into his house. i put the ring back. I started restoring that which I've stolen. Because I can no longer sleep in peace with myself doing the things that I used to do. That was evidence of my salvation. Now, I didn't stop stealing because I was saved. But because I was saved, I stopped stealing. You understand the difference? You don't get saved because you stop doing this and you stop doing that. And you begin to read your Bible. You begin to pray. No, you begin to read your Bible. You begin to pray. You begin to stop doing things because you've been saved. Because he's put his spirit within you. And now he's causing you to walk. In a new way. Do you understand me? Right. So here, this is a prophecy of the born again experience. That God's going to give us a new spirit, a new heart. He's going to live within us. And he's going to cause us to walk according to his statutes. The ecclesia, the church, is the new ark. The new ark of the covenant. In the Old Testament... 
there was an ark with angels that had golden angels over the ark. And there was, you know, in, inside the ark, they had, you know, all these different heavenly uh, image of heavenly utensils. They had Aaron's rod that budded and all these different things. And that's where God was. But now in this time, we are the new ark of the new covenant. So we have a new covenant and there's a new ark and we are that ark. We are the body, the living body, embodiment of the anointed one and his anointing, Jesus Christ. And the glory of God is no longer in a building, but it's on the inside of us. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. So, let's take a look here. 1 Corinthians 6.19. And I want us to get this into our spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.19. This reminds me of preaching in prison. I used to go to the jails and I preach in prison to about 10 or 15 inmates, you know. <laughs> but you guys just look so much nicer than the inmates. <laughs> they were probably hungrier. Oh, they were hungry, absolutely. We had yeah, absolutely. First Corinthians 6:19. First Corinthians 6:19. Corinthians is after Romans. After Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians. We're in 1st Corinthians chapter 6. And verse 19. We are the new ark of the new covenant. Amen? The old covenant has been fulfilled. And there's a new covenant. And there's a new ark. And this ark is diversity of people from every race, every tribe, every background, every sex, every color, culture. Amen? 1 Corinthians 6.19. Maybe, Catherine, can you read that one? Do you, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Let's do 22. Read 22. That's a good one. Okay. You're brought a price. At a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Amen. You are now the new ark. The new temple of God. Bought with a price. Jesus' blood not only bought your your forgiveness of your sins, but he also purchased your spirit, soul, and your body. All three parts of you have been purchased by the blood of Jesus, and you are now the ark or the temple of God. Amen? Amen. You're a walking ark, a walking temple. Don't you know that wherever the ark went in the Old Testament, they had victory? That's right. Wherever the ark went, they had victory. And if you are the ark, that tells me that wherever you go in your life, you should always have victory. Amen? Amen. Amen. Every challenge you have, every attack you have, everything that we go through, if you understand that you are the new ark, and where the ark goes, God goes, and where the ark goes, there's victory, you should expect victory in your, your lives and in my life, Every single place we go. Amen? Amen. Am I right? If the ark in the Old Testament was just a shadow of things to come, guaranteed victory wherever they went, how much more we who are now the living temple of God, should we have victory and believe and have faith in that victory everywhere we go? Am I right? 
I'm preaching better than you're shouting now. Amen. I'm right. You're right. He said, I will build my ecclesia. I will build my uh, assembly of called out ones. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus said to Peter, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's what Jesus said. That word build, I will build my church, means that he will, means like it includes, excuse me, it includes the meaning of the process of gathering together in unity. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Part of that definition of building his church includes the gathering together in unity. The gathering together in unity. Do you hear me? Say gathering together in unity. There's never been a time where God lived in the earth through such a plurality and such a complexity of earthen vessels. Mm-hmm. Let's take a look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. 1 Peter is a little bit trickier to get to because they're thin books. They're after Hebrews and James. Towards the end of the Bible. Before Revelations. One or two books before Revelations. Very end of the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. There's never been a time where God lived in the earth through such a plurality and through such a complexity of earthen vessels. And if we could have somebody read 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. Two five. 1 Peter 2 5. Can we have a read? We said that Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. That's the process of gathering together all of his vassals. First Peter 2.5 says what? You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Mm. Wow, am I preaching good now or what? Isn't that what it says in First Peter? He said that you are living stones. His ecclesia is not me. His ecclesia is not Miro. It's not Peter. Okay? His ecclesia is the is variety, a plurality of the coming together. It's the unifying of all the living stones, the living temples of God. It's a unifying of all the living temples of God coming together in unity. You are lively stones built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Jesus said the access, I, I like, I, I, earlier I thought the word used the word window, the window, but let's just use the word window or access of the gateway or the doorway. Jesus said that the access to answer prayer is forced. Somebody go like this with me. Come on, let me see your hands. Let me see. It's forced open when the assembly comes together in unity. The doorway to answer prayer, the window, the access to answer prayer is forced open when the assembly comes together in unity. 
Let's take a look at that Matthew chapter 18. I've been to churches where they have a sick list. At the end of the church, like, oh, pray for Sister Lucy and pray for Uncle June and pray for Sister Betty. And, you know, they're all praying and nobody's healed on the list. Nobody's getting healed. And they just go through the list of praying for all the sick people because the people praying, they don't even expect the people to be healed. People do house visits to pray for the sick, expecting them to stay sick after they come. This is true. Christians are trained to expect unanswered prayer. When I go to pray for somebody, I might not get the results that I want yet, but I'm engaged in it. I'm going for it. And when I go, the least thing I do is I expect God to move. Amen? Amen. One way that we can force open the, the, the door to close prayer and, and, and hindrances to prayer is through unity. Matthew 18, verse 19 says this. Again, I say unto you. Now this is written in the red. If, there, if you see the, the verse is written in the red, you know that's Jesus himself speaking. Amen? He said, again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be. Say shall be. Not shall be. Shall be. That's a swear word in Chinese. Shall be. It shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. This word agree is the Greek word symphonos or symphony. He says if two parties will come together and they will have a symphonos or an agreement touching any one subject Whatever they ask, it shall be given to them by the Father. Do you hear me? The access to prayer is forced open when the assembly comes together in unity. The church is not, it cannot, it will not, it will never be one disconnected, disgruntled, angry, bitter person. It will never be that. Because when the assembly comes together... There is a symphony or a sound of unity. And the Bible says that there he is in the midst of them. When they come together in unity, in agreement, then he shows up. But when somebody's coming to church because it's Easter, and somebody's coming for a boyfriend, and somebody's coming for a girlfriend, and somebody's coming because they have to, they're afraid to go to hell... They're not even coming together in unity. But when we're coming together on Sunday to see Jesus, and when the worship music starts, we're putting up our hands, and we're engaging God with the sacrifice of praise, and we're coming in because all of us want to get a hold of Jesus today. That's when he'll show up. Not because of Sunday when people go to church. Do you understand me? Verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together, In my name, there I am, in the midst of them. When the assembly comes together in a symphony of unity, there he is. And when the king is there, guess what comes? When the king shows up, guess what else shows up? The kingdom shows up with him. And when the king comes, and then the kingdom comes... 
And when his kingdom comes, his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Am I right? The glory of heaven's perfect peace, perfect health, perfect shalom. Nothing. Shalom in the Hebrew, we use the English word peace, but it's so weak. That the word in Hebrew shalom is nothing missing, nothing broken, the wholeness, the completeness of God. When the king is here, the kingdom comes. And when the kingdom is here and the kingdom comes, his will is done. And when his will is done, there is access to perfect health, perfect peace, perfect resources, perfect joy, perfect finances, perfect deliverance, perfect healing. It all becomes tangible when the king is here. Do you understand me? At the point where the presence of God has come among us and is tangible, at that point, we have an open heaven. And all we need to do is believe in our hearts, speak with our mouths, receive it by faith, and we now have access into the unlimited resources and supply of heaven. Do you hear me? Amen. Amen. I'm preaching better than you're shouting. Amen. Let me share with you two Hebrew words, and we're going to close in Genesis, Genesis chapter 13. I want to share with you two words in the Hebrew. Last week we talked about, oh, how good and how pleasant it is when brethren... Mm-hmm. Honey, you were at the other church location. Do you guys remember? Anybody remember from last week? I know Juan Krishna. Oh, how good and how pleasant it is when brethren go together in unity. Psalm one thirty-three. Dwell together in unity. Let's take a look at the word "dwell together." Those two Hebrew words, "dwell together." This is good, Mary. Don't want to miss this. Hebrew words for "dwell" and the word "together." The word "dwell." In the Hebrew is the word yeshap. It means to settle in as in a marriage or to marry. The word dwell, yeshap. It means to settle down with, settle in with, settle down as to marry. The word unity, dwell together. The word unity and the word together, interesting is the same Hebrew word. The word unity and the word together is the same Hebrew word. Yachab. Yachab. The word yachab means union or as one unit. As one unit. I have a box of pens. Do we have... We let, we, the boxes are here in the house somewhere, right, honey? Do you know where they're at? Oh, is that it? Okay, okay, good, good. I'll give you a box to take home, buddy. This is one unit. There's a whole box of them. Many, there's a plurality of them, but this is one unit. So that word yahab, where together or unity in the Hebrew, means to be one together as one unit. Okay? Now this is one unit with many components. Am I right? Here there's many components. But it is married together as one piece, as one unit, to fulfill one purpose. Do you hear me? This is the word yachab. Dwell together. Dwell together. Yeshab 
Yachav. Unity can't, it cannot, will not, should not, and will not be able to be obtained when we are full of ourselves. So I'd like us to look at Genesis 13, and I want you to repeat that with me. Say, unity, unity. cannot be obtained. We were full of ourselves. Why am I taking you to Genesis 13? Because a few weeks ago I taught you on the Word of God, and I talked about one of the laws of translating the Bible. And one of those laws is the law of first mention. The first time in the Bible you ever see Yachab, Yashab Yachab together is here in Genesis chapter 13. Let's see what the Word of God reveals to us. Hold on, let me talk to the police. Up here. <laughs> We're not here. <laughs> Start singing happy birthday. <laughs> okay, Vegetables. Okay, pizza's next. Pizza. <laughs> The first time, and I'm going to have to edit that out of the, the podcast. The first time you see Yashab, Yachab together is here in Genesis chapter 13. Let's take a look at this. Let's read from verses 1 to 13. And Abram went up out of Egypt, and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. Somebody say he was rich. He was rich. Amen. How many of you guys have the blessing of Abraham? Amen. I have the blessing of Abraham too. Hallelujah. And I'm, I'm rich too in Jesus' name. Jesus. Abraham was very rich. Say very rich. Very in rich. In cattle, and silver, and in gold. And he went out, his, out on his journeys... From the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hal, mm-hmm. unto the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And Lot also, which went with Abraham, Lot had flocks, had herds, had tents. And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together. The land was not able to bear them. Say that with me. The land was not able to bear them. them. Let's say it again. The land was not able to bear them. The land was not able to bear them. Okay. That they might yashab yachab. That they might dwell together. For their substance was great. Say their substance was great. (laughs) Verse 6, I'll read it again. And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, and that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdsmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelt 
than in the land. And Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between thy herdmen and thy, and thy my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself. The Orthodox over here, the Catholic over here. Right? Hungary yeah. over here, you English people over there. Separate thyself for me, I pray thee. If thou wilt take the land on the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zor. Then... Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves. They ceased from Yashab Yachab. They separated themselves, the one from the other. Verse 12. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities, in the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord. Exceedingly. The first time Yahab, unity, was ever mentioned in the Bible is right here. Abraham and Lot could not dwell together because their substance was so great. When we're too full of ourselves, when we're too full of our own opinions and our own causes and our own status in society and our own culture and our own education or in our own sex. Well, I'm a man or you're a woman or I'm a woman. When we're just too full of ourselves that we can't dwell together. We give room for the enemy. When we're too full of our opinions and our culture, and I like fast songs, I like slow songs, I like hymns, I like pastor to act like this, or I like my, you know, the being, I like flowers, and my, you know, and we're so divided in the church because of ourselves. We're so full of our own substance. Dwell together means to settle down with each other into like a marriage relationship. It means to assimilate into one harmonious union. Let me tell you something about a marriage. When you're in a marriage, you can't leave because you're upset. Yes. And if I was, could leave because I was upset, or my wife could leave because she was upset, she'd leave every day. Amen. Right? Every time she hears my dunlow knocking on the door. My dunlow marasong, she's upset. But in a marriage, you can't leave because you're upset. Am I right? In a marriage, you can't leave because you have a different opinion. You can't leave because you didn't realize that your husband's feet stuck. Or you didn't realize that, you know, she, she farts. <laughs> right? In a marriage, you cannot leave. It's an eternal covenant. And once you make that covenant, there's no easy come, easy go. Am I right? But 
the marriage covenant has the blessing. Amen. Proverbs 18.22 says this. He that findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth the favor of God. When you get married, you obtain the favor of God. You obtain the commanded blessing of God. Why? Because now you've just come into a holy union. Why? Because now you have to supply for a wife and kids. So when you get married, the blessing comes to provide for that family. So in marriage, there is a blessing. The unity of marriage creates agreement. That agreement releases the command of blessing. Any married couple will tell you, when me and my wife pray about something, it always happens. Because there's a, a harmonious union when two come together. That's why I said before, and I'll say it again for those of you that are listening to me for the first time. The Bible says when a married couple are arguing, don't let the sun go down until you settled your argument. So, and the Bible says this, so that your prayers will not be hindered. The disunity between a married couple hinders the prayers. Because unity in the assembly, unity of people coming together in symphonos creates an atmosphere of an open heaven. Do you understand me? Amen? Amen. The unity of marriage creates agreement that releases the command of blessing. What was the result? Abraham had too much substance. Lot had too much substance. What was the result? As the result of not being able to dwell together in unity, Lot was forced into Sodom. Sodom cost him his wife. If you know the story, the angels of God had to escort them out of the city. His wife looked back and she turned to a pillar of salt. He lost his wife, lost pretty much everything he had. Eventually, the entire city was destroyed, right? Sodom and Gomorrah was totally destroyed. When we fail to be in unity as a church, when we fail to be in unity because we're so full of our own feelings, full of our own emotions, full of our own opinions, not only will we suffer one another, but also the dying world around us will also suffer. Last verse, John 13.35. John 13.35, let me say it again. When we as a church fail to be in unity because we're so full of our own opinions and ideas and pride and emotions, when we fail to be in unity, not only do we suffer, but the dying world around us suffer. When they don't see unity, they don't see God. John chapter 13, verse 35. Can somebody read that, please? Only by our love. Not by the miracles, not by, you know, your prosperity. He said, only by the love. They'll know you're my disciples. But how you love one another. We have to come into such a unity in our church like, like E.W. Kenyon had in his church. E.W. Kenyon, for 40 years, not one person got sick. 
We have to come as such a unity in our church when the power of God is flowing, the love of God is flowing. Daily, such as should be saved are being added to the church. And after we can model that here amongst ourselves, now we can go to the other churches. Because in Beijing, this church don't like this church. This church is judging that church. They think this about us. We think about that. And there's so much division in the church here. And if we want to see revival in Beijing, we can start it within our church by us coming together in unity. Then reaching out to try and create unity in the city. Because Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall inherit the earth. Not only should we make peace amongst ourselves, but we need to make peace amongst the divided factions in the body of Christ. And I believe God will bless us. Because blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall inherit the earth. Amen? Amen. I want to inherit Beijing. I want to inherit China. I want to inherit Mongolia, Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, Philippines. I want that to be my harvest field. Because God says, ask of me and I'll give you the heathen for your inheritance. So I'm just asking God for it. Gotcha. God said, ask me for it. So I'm asking for it. Amen. Amen. To stop the recording at that point, but you might be listening right now and you say, Pastor Joey, I wanted to pray that prayer. If I was there, I would have prayed with you. I'd like to pray right now. As a matter of fact, I'd like to give my life to Jesus Christ. I would like to have God in my life. And I'd like to know Jesus as my Savior and my Lord and surrender my life to him. You know, repentance means to turn away from your way of doing things and to turn to God's way. We've done things our own way. Like they used to say in Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous, when I did the 12 steps, they said, your best decisions and your best ways of thinking and your best ways to handle life have gotten you to this situation. And now it's time to trust a higher power. Well, there is no higher power than the God of all the earth. His name is Jehovah, and he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And through him, you can turn from your way of doing things to his way. And his way is the right way because he made you, and he made you for a purpose, and he knows exactly what you need to pull out your potential to forgive you of your sins, deliver you from the things that keep you away from God in a sin and death cycle. And if you'd open up your heart, to him right now, together with me, God can begin a new work in your life. So just pray with me wherever you're at, whether you're driving your car, whether you're at home, uh, wherever you are, just, just pray with me and repeat after me. Say, Father, I come to you now in the name of Jesus. I ask you to forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. I believe that your son died for my sins. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead. From this day forward, I belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You prayed that prayer. I'd like you to contact me. And we can send you some more resources and materials that can help you start this new life. Because this is the first day of the rest of your life. Email me at joe at nationsabroad.com or email the church at nfcontact at gmail.com. And we'd love to speak with you and just 
correspond with you and put you on the right path, maybe help you find some local churches there online or something, or maybe we know some pastors there that could follow up with you and help teach you the Word of God. Thank you for listening, and feel free to download the other podcast and just feed on the Word of God.